Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast that injects a good deal of optimism and possibility into your life at home and at work. Conversations with thought leaders and everyday people shine the light on what works and amplifies those everyday micro moments of positivity, irrespective of what else is going on. You'll be energized by lots of practical tips, inspiring you to live a truly satisfying and meaningful life. Welcome to this episode of Positivity Strategist, and I'm your host, Robin Stratton Burkessel. So I want to put a question to you. What might be a quality that we could all strengthen to help us deal with some of the hard stuff in life, whether that hard stuff is to do with challenging relationships, adverse conditions at work or bad series of events in one's life. Many things can set us back and send us into despair. And yet as human beings, we have the capacity to forgive and reconnect with hope. In this episode, my two guests talk about this quality that can increase our ability to weather the storms and come out stronger. And that quality I'm referring to is resilience. My guest talks specifically about appreciative resilience and leadership, and you'll soon understand why. These two brilliant, amazing women are life partners and business partners. Their business is Coquel MacArthur Blair Consulting, based on the west coast of Canada in British Columbia. And they served an 11-year stint on the east coast of Canada in Halifax, Nova Scotia. They have their distinctive backgrounds, unique talents and gifts, and they share a love and expertise for appreciative inquiry, which is foundational to their work in leadership development, board development, strategic planning, leadership resilience and innovation. And between them, they've authored and co-authored 26 papers, chapters and articles, and two books, one of which we're excited to dive in today. So Dr. Joan MacArthur Blair is an inspirational writer, poet and speaker. And Joan now consults after a full and rich career in higher education, where she fulfilled roles from faculty to college president. And she works all over the world with individuals and organisations to make a positive difference. Now, this is something really exciting for me as an Australian because I recognise the honour of it. Joan's been acclaimed for her work and she's been awarded the Queen's Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal. That's pretty cool. And she's also been awarded the Paul A. Elsner International Excellence in Leadership. So, kudos to you, Joan. And then Dr. Jeannie Coquel. Jeannie is an educational and organisation consultant and she specialises in collaboratively designing strategies to surface the wisdom of individuals and groups to build positive futures. And Jeannie's known for her creativity, her sense of humour, sensitivity and her ability to get diverse groups to work together. And this book that we're about to explore reveals much of Jeannie's talents as a facilitator. Jeannie has published a number of articles for the International Appreciative Inquiry Practitioner Journey 
journal, which was the topic of our last episode on Positivity Strategist and that was about learning leaders. I hope you've gone in and downloaded your copy. Now, I could take up the entire show talking about the talents and achievements of these gifted women and I want to move directly to the focus of our show today, which is about their new book on the topic of appreciative resilience. The title is Building Resilience with Appreciative Inquiry, A Leadership Journey Through Hope, Despair and Forgiveness. It's published May 2018 by Barrett Kohler. I have enjoyed reading it. I have just got so much out of it and it's such a rich book. And I could say why that is. However, right now, I'm going to stop talking and I want to get you both onto the microphone. So as a start, Joan, I wonder if you would be happy to share with us, since I've mentioned that you are life and business partners and this is your second book that you've co-authored, what's been a high point of writing and creating this book with your partner, Jeannie? I think it's so powerful to write with somebody that you deeply care about and live your life with. And so Jeannie and I have a very unique way of writing together. We take leads on pieces and then the other person just takes that piece and doesn't edit it, but whatever moves them in that piece. And so they create and recreate. And what that does is over the course of writing a book together, it begins to harmonize our voices. And we bring very unique talents to writing. Jeannie's originally a mathematician. My original work uh, is in English. And we bring those uniquenesses uh, of the rhythm and the poetic nature of both of our backgrounds. What do you want to add, Jeannie? Oh, I think it actually just brings all that extra joy into our life and to the challenges that it brings, which there always are when you come from different perspectives and different voices, working and, and sort of overcoming and really getting into and going beyond the challenges is really very full of joy. So yeah. we appreciate each other. We practice what we are writing about in order to write. <laughs> it really comes through, and I'll come back to that, because the appreciative inquiry principles come to life in your writing. But Jeannie, maybe you could say why a book on resilience and particularly the focus on resilience and leadership? Yes. Well, we do a lot of work as consultants, educational and organizational consultants. And uh, we found over the years of working with many different leaders and different kinds of organizations and worldwide, we find that what happens as we do appreciative inquiry for whatever purpose, whether it's a team building exercise or strategic planning, we find that the core of it is that people are moving forward in their strength and advocacy as leaders, which we see as something that really requires resilience. And we see that we've seen the benefit over the years of people taking appreciative inquiry and starting to use it, not just as the models and tools to do something specific, but in the daily practice of living their lives as informal and formal leaders. And so we thought there's something here that we need to actually bring forward to the world because it goes well beyond in a workplace context where, of course, it is very important. And it goes beyond that into people's lives and into the world. 
And Joan, I wonder, as you did your research, and I know that you've written your own stories about your own leadership journeys, and you also reached out to people to share their stories. And what is so beautiful is that most of these stories are written in the first person's voice, which is really touching and just really makes it palpable. So as you were doing that, and people were sharing through hope, despair and forgiveness. What was emerging for you as you continued to do this work together? I think it was so powerful to listen to leaders talk about appreciative inquiry, hope, despair and forgiveness in their leadership lives, to bring those incredible stories into the forefront, the ways in which they practiced hope, that they undertook to to bring hope and a hopeful view to their organizations. Their experiences of despair, both personal and systemic, and in the book we talk about systemic despair, um, and and this idea that there's a a third powerful circle at play of forgiveness, Mm. the ability to, to see what is profoundly and be able to move from that place. And, uh, and so those, as people talked about those interlocking circles of hope, despair, and forgiveness within the larger context of appreciative inquiry, we were moved again and again and again by their willingness to tell us stories and the sheer power of their stories. Yeah. And I'm going to come to your appreciative resilience model where you have those three interlocking circles supported by the appreciative inquiry processes and so on. Um, But I just want to just make a mention, Joan, that Joan's poetry opens every chapter and the poems are just exquisite. And your expression is so deeply touching and pulls at the heart. And before we move away from the topic of resilience into more, you know, more how, how you're doing it, would you just please read your opening poem? Uh, so this first poem really leads us into the book, this idea of what what was drawing us to do this writing. So we did not set out on this journey to travel the path of resilience, but resilience held to us, its voice hoarse against the wild wind of life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now, you emphasize at the beginning of the book and throughout that you've written a commentary. And I'm going to come back to that later about more of your tone and style and direction. But I would, it's, that seemed to be very important for you to point out. So maybe, Jeannie, you could address the significance of, you know, you were writing a commentary. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction for us moving into this book when we realize that. We were not writing or did we not, we didn't desire to write a book that was sort of the five steps to be more resilient. Mm. Like we weren't giving people the way to get there. Uh, Instead, we were actually sharing stories and ideas and our perspectives on hope, despair and forgiveness, our experiences and the experiences of many others around using appreciative inquiry through those various the three states. And uh, so we said, well, it's really a commentary of sto- stories and ideas all woven together as, as a book and that we would hope that we would reach the reader uh, who also have 
you know, the readers have perspectives of their own. And so we're hoping that through the way we've done it as a commentary, people will attach to it and engage with it and be able to say, oh, yes, or oh, and this is what I would do. And, you know, and start to have their own conversations with others about how it is they engage with appreciative resilience. Mm -hmm. I think I'd, I'd add to that. I think the idea of a commentary as well as we wanted it to be invitational mm -hmm. for leaders to find their own path to resilience. And we found this profoundly in talking to the leaders we talked to. Um, everyone had a different journey, a different path, a different experience. And so we really wanted the book to be invitational, to reside a while and then take what they needed and build their own resilience. Mm. Well, it worked because one of the first words I wrote down about the tone of the book and impact it had on me, it was about being invitational. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm pleased I got it. <laughs> That's fabulous, and and really, the invitational is about the fact that what came up as we interviewed other leaders and have had a lot, we've done lots of work with people around this, these notions of appreciative resilience. And what always comes up is this notion of where else do they have these kinds of conversations? Where else are they invited to talk about hope, despair, and forgiveness? And yet everybody, every leader we've talked to said, oh, yes, oh, and how wonderful to have an opportunity to actually explore it and and articulate it and and especially with others so i think it's something that people do not have as an opportunity very often mm -hmm. and it seems to be very significant with this zeitgeist we're living with at the moment as well so timing is great and right from the outset you offer the reader a way to hold and practice resilience through your appreciative resilience model and I'm quoting you now, you write, leveraging the force of appreciative inquiry is essential to appreciative resilience. And this book focuses on using appreciative inquiry concepts to practice hope, to sustain oneself in despair, and to foster forgiveness. So Jeannie, right from the outset, you offer the reader a way to hold and practice resilience, and it's your model. So you've alluded to a little bit earlier but maybe you could just speak to the model if you could somehow visually represent it for the listeners certainly well it's mathematical it's a circle <laughs> uh, which I always love uh, in which in the center is a Venn diagram of three intersecting circles and each of those circles in the center are representative of hope despair and forgiveness at the center of which is appreciative resilience the outer edge of the circle the is the actual appreciative inquiry aspect of the model, which, if you think about it, is sort of more like three-dimensional than what we represent it as, which is two-dimensional in the book. Mm. And things, you know, evolve around and move and, you know, hope, sometimes in a day you have more hope than despair or vice versa or forgiveness. And so we see this as a representation of something we hope the readers and we ask the readers and invite the readers to see as the movements throughout their day-to-day -day practice of leadership. And the practice of appreciative resilience is impacted by what's happening in the outer circle, which revolves around, which is all aspects of appreciative inquiry. So the processes that are more formal and how, how we do things like, you know, the 4D process or some other kind of process 
the, the day-to-day practice of the principles of appreciative inquiry uh, and being appreciative inquiry, we think these are the most relevant to leadership and appreciative resilience. And then the, actually focusing on leadership and what does AI leadership look like? Well, it looks like you know embodying all of those uh, rotating appreciative inquiry questions, perspectives, mindsets, processes, models, all all aspects of appreciative inquiry in the journey with hope, despair, and forgiveness. Mm, And I wonder, does it presuppose one needs to be knowledgeable and skilled in AI to apply the model? I think that fundamentally, leaders are in the practice of hope. Mm -hmm. And appreciative inquiry and the principles want to lift up what is powerful in the world and what is possible. And so I don't think someone needs to undertake a study of appreciative inquiry in order to begin to practice appreciative resilience. And we really wrote the book that way with with the the with a primer in appreciative inquiry that leaders could attach to quite quickly without having to spend a great deal of time studying appreciative inquiry and then begin to apply it to the experience of hope, despair, and forgiveness in their lives. So no, leaders don't need an extensive background in appreciative inquiry in order to practice appreciative resilience. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think part of the beauty of this book is your generosity with the workshops that you have and the questions that you ask. And when I was reading through those, it it was just like going to an AI workshop and you don't have to be trained in AI to actually go through those question sets to learn about your experience and stories around each of those particular states, whether it be the inquiry into hope or despair or, or forgiveness. So, yeah, that makes sense. That's good. So... And Robin, you just mentioned the questions at the end of every chapter. We designed those questions so that at the end of every chapter, leaders had something practical to play with. Yeah. Something that kind of distilled the ideas of a chapter down into questions they might reflect on or use with colleagues. And so we did that with the intention of, of synthesizing ways in which leaders could just begin. They didn't have to spend time. They could just begin to practice appreciative resilience in small and and, uh, powerful ways for themselves. And in offering these questions, we always offer and invite them to then add their own questions because this is just a starting place in terms of practicing appreciative resilience. I think that's very powerful. So you're inviting people to reflect Mm. offer them questions they can come up with their own questions and then right at the back of the book there's a whole host of other fabulous resources um, for people so terrific so why don't we invest a little time now in looking at each one of these states and you say you know it's not linear and what I also loved about the book, so I'm getting to punctuate with the things that I loved about the book, uh-huh. is that the invitational part and the inclusive part and the facilitative tone of all of this is that start wherever, whatever strikes you. So you don't have to go like chapter one through to chapter eight, but you can start wherever, whatever speaks to you. And I went straight to despair, <laughs> which I was just so moved by. But anyway, why don't we start with hope? And, mm-hmm. and you say that, you know, in the workshops, this is often a good place to start because it's, it's most elevating and really lifts people up 
when you start to inquire about their stories of, of hope and so on. So Jeannie, maybe you would like to, to introduce us to the state of hope and how it fits into appreciative resilience. Yes, I'd love to do that because it's my favorite state. And, you know, we talk about hope and a hopeful view and sort of no matter what the challenges are, um, knowing that some other possibilities and that life is going to go on. And like, can I just read a little piece? from? Oh, please. Yes, story? I'd love you to. Yeah, we collected, we collected lots of stories and we also contributed some of them from ourselves and our lives. And uh, I just want to read this little piece where I said, uh, in all my formal and informal leadership roles, I've applied my hopeful view by looking for what is working that can be built on. For example, when I woke up after being in a very serious car accident, I was very, I was aware that I couldn't talk, couldn't move. Even in this state, I also became aware of what I could do. I reframed my challenges into my possibilities. I could smile and listen. I was alive, being cared for in a hospital surrounded by family and healthcare providers. Over the weeks and months of healing, I practiced hope by reframing to focus on what I could do, to focus on the possibilities, and by taking steps, literally learning to walk again, along a path forward. This personal example illustrates how I intentionally practice hope through choosing what I focus on. I carry this choosing what to focus on into my work practices as a leader. Mm. Yeah, very powerful example and bringing out some of the um, appreciative inquiry principles there. Yeah, so say a little bit about, um, you know, how you work with leaders on helping them focus on, on hope and, and bring hope to their teams and to their organizations. Yeah, I think it's a classic appreciative inquiry, which is a question of, well, first of all, often reframing, because often, you know, as as you said, you go to despair. And often when we're coming in and working with leaders, they're, they're in despair. And so it's a classic appreciative inquiry approach of taking what isn't working and saying, okay, let's reframe that and say, if that was not existing, in other words, what the ideal and what you really desire and yearn for does exist, what would that be? And then reframe that to what that is and then ask them questions around where is that already happening? Tell a story about where that's already happening in your world and your team and your leadership. So that, that shifts people. Once they start telling those stories, they realize that there are some even small things that are going really well that just shifts their energy into seeing that. And then that also shifts them into a hopeful view about let's continue to work on this because we can move forward because we're already doing something that we can build on. Mm, yeah, that's very good. And Robin, I just wanted to add something about hope and the ways in which we look at it in the book. We believe that all of these are practices, but hope in particular is a practice. It's an intentional practice that leaders can undertake, um, learn, and as they build more and more the capacity uh, for hope and a hopeful view. And we don't mean hope as in like everything's going to be fine. We mean hope in seeking out the possibilities in the most complex of times. And so we really look at hope as an intentional practice what is possible, what is hopeful in this situation, how is it I can uplift myself and others. And, you know, I say in the book, 
in a landscape littered with paths and choices, hope will walk with us if we encourage it. A tiny hand in ours leaning into an unknown future. And so we really look at hope as the fundamental practice of resilience, the constant reinforcement of hope and a hopeful view as a practice of resilience. Mm. Yeah, foundational, yes. And um, you also share a personal story, Joan, about your work as a leader and the practice of hope. Do, could you read that to me? Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I, I do, and I'm going to read part of it. It's quite a long story, but I, um, I say in the book that in my work as a leader, the practice of hope was not always easy for me, but over the years it became a compelling force. As an educator, I found hope through seeing students overcome and succeed. In my formal leadership roles, the practice of hope grew from believing in educational change and seeing new ideas come to life. Learning the rhythm of compromise, politics, and sitting with colleagues and deeply celebrating the work we were creating together fostered the practice mm -hmm. as well. Unlike some people who have an intrinsically hopeful view of the world, I learned hope. I began to understand that hope was not some sort of exercise in visualizing a particular outcome. I learned to acquire a hopeful view and profoundly see the outcomes within and outside my control through the lenses of hope. Perhaps what I call acquired hope is the element that is the most complex and took the deepest learning and most constant practice for me. That really does bring out that it's a practice um, and that it happens in relationship with others as well. It's not, just not you alone, right? Um, well, I think that that's something we talk about in the book a fair mm, bit. Of time. Resilience mm. is, 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 although we individually come to it, it happens in community. Mm -hmm. Who will uplift you? Who will hold you? Who will work with you and sustain you? I want to switch now to despair and, and how you work with that in strengthening one's capacity to build appreciative resilience. And you wrote a very touching piece about despair, and I would love you to read that out if you're willing. You talk about losing your inner life. One of the things we write about in the, in the book is despair is that thing, you know, that comes unbidden in our leadership life. You know, we don't invite it in, you know, it visits. And we talk about this in the book that, you know, despair sometimes comes as a glancing blow or sometimes it will take us to our knees and that there's no recipe for the dispelling of despair. It's a, it's a, that it is a visitor that comes and stays until that part of the journey is over. But in the book, I talk about when despair has visited me, I find myself losing my inner life losing that inner life that guides and offers up grace in leadership. Sometimes in despair, I feel as if I have misplaced my inner life, like a set of keys. I know it is somewhere, but I can't find it. In all of my leadership work, my inner life has been the place that spiritually, morally, and ethically guided me. I have practiced hard to bring it into the forefront through meditation, compassion practices, exercise, sleep, and just taking care of myself. And yet when despair arrives, it is it is though I have misplaced my inner life. 
and it is difficult to locate the inner compass that guides me. And you highlight that this is the place, so despair is the state that has a huge opportunity to tap into our strength. So while we're in that state of despair, we can find what are the strengths that will accompany us while we're there. So maybe, Jeannie, Mm -hmm. is there something that you would like, a story that comes to mind or something that can illustrate how when we surface our strengths that that helps us kind of surface from the despair? No, I'm interested in talking about the systemic nature of despair. And we we use the term critical in terms of the systemic forces that are out there, uh, you know, that are make the world not an equal place for everybody. You know, the whole notion of working towards social justice is recognizing the critical uh, nature of what, how people, some people are oppressed uh, more than others and some people have privilege and all those complexities. And that notion of critical appreciative inquiry and how important it is because of, of course, systemic um, is situations, systemic oppression and so on can really cause situations of despair. Mm. And I wanted to actually just quote a brief uh, story from one of our uh, leaders that we interviewed mm-hmm. and shared this story about the power of critical appreciative inquiry. So I'm just going to read that piece. My personal and all-consuming rage against systemic misogyny, local and global, made it impossible for me to do women's liberation work in my day-to-day profession. It was exhausting and filled me with despair. AI dreaming has reconnected me with the motivating and creative power of that rage, and critical appreciative inquiry has given me an appreciative channel to move proactively from despair to hope. And did forgiveness play a role in that? Well, I think forgiveness uh, is a is a form of, as she says, she actually got she moved from the rage, right? The, That's right. The rage helped her to move to see what needed to mm-hmm. be done. It also allowed her to to do the movement. And forgiveness is being able to let go of things that are holding you back, so you're not moving. Uh, so I think forgiveness is the key element of going from despair. Mm-hmm. Yes, because you say that, I'm quoting you again somewhere, that uh, the forgiveness is not only transcendent in its call to assist others to flourish, but is transcendent yes. in assisting oneself to flourish. Yes, yes. And so when you read that story, it just reminded me of that, that, you know, you can transcend, you can transcend in assisting yourself to flourish by, that, by going through that forgiveness. Yes, forgiveness of self is, and forgiveness of others. They're both very, very important. Yeah. And this was really interesting in our work in resilience. You know, we think about hope and despair as kind of two companions that you bounce back and forth from, right? And as we worked more and more with resilience and as we talked to leaders, we really recognized that there was a third and very powerful circle at play, and that was forgiveness. The capacity mm-hmm. to deeply understand that things actually cannot be uh, rewritten in a leadership life uh, and the capacity to see things as they are and begin to lift up oneself uh, back toward hope. And I think forgiveness is such a powerful practice in resilience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Joan, I would love you to read your poem that starts the chapter on forgiveness. This is, poem is called Forgiveness. Uh, as uh, Robin said, it starts the chapter. 
uh, on forgiveness. And I think really gets at this idea that forgiveness is a practice and it is not always easy. Forgiveness is not a blank slate. It does not offer absolution. It does not lighten the burden of past acts. Do not think it is easy, nor is it kind. Rather, it recognizes the power of rising again from the ashes of fires we ourselves ignited, of dousing the flamethrowers gripped by circumstance and evil. It is a letting go and a holding close. It abides in love and champions knowing, and it walks with a steely and willful force. Forgive me. Hmm. Thank you for explaining each of those three states. And I wonder if we could switch now to how you deliver your workshops, um, how you introduce appreciative resilience to your clients and to strengthen leadership capacity. I think there's a, there's a variety of ways. Often we're invited mm-hmm. into organizations to do resilience work. So we may do a piece of the workshop or part of the workshop with folks. And we include the workshop in the book uh, so that leaders can play with it. So they can take some of the questions and maybe use them for themselves or their colleagues. So they can think through uh, how this might play out in their teams and organizations. And we take a lot of care with leaders. You know, I think the stories of hope, the stories of forgiveness, they kind of exist in uh, in the public domain in some way, if you want to say it that way. But we take great care with leaders around despair. And we really, in our work, want to work on what is the greatest strength in times of despair, mm-hmm. not the despair itself. Because we're very clear that we're educators and we bring an educational view to this. And so so we work with people in all kinds of formats. We do very short half-day workshops or day-long workshops or longer. And, of course, the greater the length, the greater the depth. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the very powerful pieces of feedback we get is that leaders, particularly formal leaders, you know, and says so on their business card and so on, they never have an opportunity to talk about hope as a practice and what it takes to practice that. They don't have an opportunity to talk about the fact that maybe they have had days and weeks and maybe months of despair in their leadership life. Uh, And their greatest strength might have been just getting up and showering and going. That's what they had to offer that day. And they don't get a chance to talk about the extraordinary power of forgiveness and opening to the future. And so we get that feedback from from leaders, just the opportunity to reside with other leaders and have um, these conversations about leadership are very powerful. And I think we really illustrate the the workshop uh, are just some ways to you know, especially as you asked earlier, what about people who don't know about appreciative inquiry? It shows, it illustrates how taking some generative questions mm-hmm. and engaging in conversations and reflections around stories of hope, despair, and forgiveness is such a powerful way of doing appreciative inquiry. And the other thing is that we actually use the um, process of the 4D model to actually go through a plan for moving on once people have had discussions and get a deeper understanding of resilience, 
of creating a resilience plan. So we, we actually illustrate some of the things we've talked about throughout mm-hmm. in the stories that are actually appreciative inquiry practices and principles. Yeah. Yeah, and I can just I can just picture it. You know, you get invited into an organisation to do some work, and if you do an inquiry just for a short time, like you know, several hours, half a day, on just you know when you've been uh, you know connected to hope, and you share all those stories, how uplifting that would be, and how that can set the tone and the energy to tackle whatever you had, that you're there to kind of resolve, even 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 if it's framed in an affirmative way. So kind of re, for helping people to reconnect with hope. It's so embedded into, you know, bringing appreciative worldview and practices into lives and organisations. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's, you know, this, this commentary is about that. It's about a longing to provide some insights, reflections, conversations that leaders might have that can sustain them. This book is all about mm. leaderships, leaders sustaining themselves. And we hope it's a book that they get to go back to again and again and say, you know, what, what's a question I can ask myself this morning? I feel like I can't even get my coffee made this morning. Never mind, go to work. Mm-hmm. And just a place to go and just spend a few minutes. And as you said earlier, the book's written so people can open it anywhere. Mm-hmm. They don't mm-hmm. have to read it in order. And we did that intentionally as well. Yeah. yeah. It's so well designed, the book. And so I'm just going to conclude with what I what speaks to me and what I find so um, so attractive and so beautiful and so meaningful and why I will continue to pick it up. And then I will invite you to read a concluding piece. I think it's the last piece in the book. But before I go there, I just want to remind people that they're listening to positivitystrategist.com slash PS. 93. So if you're listening, you know, while you're out there jogging or driving around and you want to be able to access and find out more about Joan and Jeannie and go to their website and find them on social media and go and buy the book, if you put in that short that short PS92, that will take you directly to the webpage where you can, um, you can find all these resources. So I just wanted to remind people it's PS92. And I just want to say again, uh, Joan and Jeannie, how beautiful this book is. And, uh, you know, you, I, I wrote down the word, it's invitational and honouring and respectful. And it's imagine, I imagine that's how you work. I mean, <laughs> as, you're, mm-hmm. as I'm reading your words, I can see you, you know, in front of a group facilitating and just seeing how this comes to life. Because there's such an inclusiveness and a humility there's a trust and a generosity that connects it. I, I, it connected with me, and I'm sure it would connect with most readers. And and you let us, you know, we've already said that you let us know that appreciative resilience is not a linear process. You invite people to jump in wherever they want. You offer them what your workshop is like. You offer resources. Um, there are the reflections at the end of every chapter. There's the poetry at the beginning. There are the personal stories and commentary throughout the chapter. And then you have the reflections and the close of each chapter. So it's so beautifully designed. And I also just want to comment that 
principles of appreciative inquiry come to life through your writing. Um, You know, you're open and curious and respecting of all perspectives and and saying this is, you know, this is not the definitive work, (laughs) but it's just, you know, how we're experiencing it right now at this point in time. So I I just um, applaud you for that. It's been such a delight to read this and prepare and think about this conversation with you. So would you like to conclude with the uh, the piece that that actually concludes the book? And if there's anything else that I've failed to bring up and you'd like to draw attention to, please go ahead. Robin, just before Jeannie starts to read the last paragraph in the book, we want to acknowledge you and all the incredible appreciative inquiry practitioners and theorists in the world. Our work is a collaboration with all of them. All the extraordinary people who write and contribute to the work of appreciative inquiry and their gifts to us, and we hope that this book is also a gift to them in their practice. Because this is a community that is so powerful, so giving, and undertakes such positive work in the world. And so we wanted to to profoundly acknowledge the work of others in the in the appreciative inquiry community. And of course, you know, David Cooper Ryder and others who began this in the 80s sent us all on a life journey that uh, has been extraordinary. Thank you, Joan. Yeah. So I will begin with the ending. (laughs) (laughs) There is such beauty in the kind of leadership that uplifts the good in the world. And to do that work requires a resilient self. We talked to many leaders in many walks of life to bring this book into being. We were profoundly inspired by their stories of using appreciative inquiry in their leadership and of their journeys through hope, despair, and forgiveness. None of these leaders had a formula for being resilient. Many of them have traveled very difficult paths in work and in life. All have an abiding will to practice forgiveness, summed up by one of by one leader. Forgiveness is an inside job. When you're practicing forgiveness, you'll know it in your heart and you'll know it in your soul. And so we end the journey of this book of building resilience with appreciative inquiry with one last invitation. Lead with all your heart in the companionship of others. Persist in the knowledge that you are on a journey of resilience and know that in the hard times, you do not leave alone. Thank you both. Thank you for reading those beautiful words. And thank you for being my guest today. And thank you so much. You did a wonderful job, Robin. Thank you so much. Jeannie, I thank appreciate you, Robin. that. And Joan, thank, thank you. For your amazing work in the world. Thank you. Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember what you focus on grows. So grow towards your best. Your best.